KBTC, a viewer-supported community service of Bates Technical College. From KBTC Public Television Studios in Tacoma, Washington, it's the Northwest Now podcast. Each week we take a closer look at the people and issues that affect all of us here in Western Washington. So sit back, relax, and join the conversation with your host, Tom Lason. With the 2022 legislative session in the rearview mirror, the midterm elections now move into focus with the entire Washington State House up for grabs. Tonight, Speaker of the House Lori Jenkins joins us to talk about the just completed session and her perspective on the issues going forward. Next on Northwest Now. Washington Democrats are in full control of state government and they have been for years now. One might make the argument that having the so-called trifecta did not result in a quick swing toward the realization of the progressive agenda. But the momentum is definitely changed now with a continued uptick in the state budget and spending on the social safety net, climate change, homelessness, and just about every other category of need. So it's in that environment that Tacoma's Lori Jenkins presides as the Speaker of the House. Speaker Jenkins, thanks so much for coming to Northwest Now. Great to have an in-person discussion. Yeah, it's been be a here, while. Good to be <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah. Absolutely. Wanted to talk to you about a few news items. Um, the most recent one, and you've been speaking about this in social media and whatnot, is the flag controversy at Pierce County Buildings. Um, it's, it's a hard one, and, and I've been involved in that a little bit uh, after 9-11 with lapel pins. Mm -hmm. Why isn't the best policy just to say, the American flag, and we're going to end it there, folks. Take your take your political ba battles to Facebook or Twitter, not here. Yeah, well, I, I don't think that actually acknowledging a community within the larger community is a controversial or a political issue, right? So um, so flying a flag to acknowledge that um, the, the LGBTQ community, I, I think is kind of a standard practice. Tacoma's been doing it for a long time. Lots of other cities and communities do it. Um, and to treat it like a controversy when it's actually not a controversy, it's just a, affirming uh, a community's presence here, is, um, seems odd, seems odd to me. Counter-argument, we also have a community here of neo-Nazis. Mm -hmm. What happens when they want to fly their flag? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the, um, the, th there was recently a court ruling which really says there should be a policy, a governmental entity should have a policy about what it flies and when. Right, that would be considered hate speech, most likely, and so I would assume that the that the county council's policy that they adopted would not allow that. And I think it was good for the county that you know we just had a Supreme Court decision that that said county council should adopt a policy around this. I think now this seems to be a little bit of an argument about who has the power to legislate the county council or the executive. Usually it's right. the county council or the legislature for us that has the ability to legislate and then the governor or the county exec has executive powers to implement. Very good arguing on the hate speech part. I shouldn't have asked that to a lawyer, should I? <laughs> you, found, you found the crucial argument. I'm still enough of a lawyer to be, uh, to be dangerous sometimes, yeah. Tom. Um, <laughs> abortion, it's really not a local issue here, is it? I mean, we're, it's codified. Um... Well, I mean, I think one of the things I would say is it is true that, you know, in 1991, Washington State voters enacted basically Roe versus Wade into law. A legislature at any point can overturn that. And I was particularly struck, for example, by the, uh, the minority leader in the Senate 
uh, the Republican leader here in Washington state saying, well, listen, Washington doesn't have to worry about it because it's Democrats that are in control. And then he turned around to argue, but Republicans want to be in control. You know, we've had no fewer than 40 bills over the last four years filed in Washington state by Republican lawmakers trying to restrict a woman's, just restricting a woman's right to choose. We had a bill this year that expanded the health care providers who can provide abortion services. Not a single Republican voted for that bill. So I do think there is risk here in Washington state. It is, I feel really good about the voters and where the voters stand, but we, um, we really need to be paying attention to who is in control of the legislature. I was gonna just ask you, and you again, lawyered, lawyered right into the answer. Um, do you think that's a problem with the electorate and, and generally a little more conservative people here in Washington state, or do you think it's a problem with Republican party politics and who's running the party? I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm very external to that, right, environment. Um, my guess is that it's, it's some of both, right? It's driven, uh, it's driven by people who are on an extreme end on um, this topic who are very active in electoral politics in the Republican Party. But, you know, it, when I actually came into the legislature, we actually had some pro-choice Republicans. We don't appear to have any uh, anymore, even though it's really clear that statewide, in a bipartisan way, both Republicans and Democrats support a woman's right to have control over her body and her right to choose. Here's the cynic in me coming out. Democrats were sweating crime, sweating the economy. The polling showed those were issues. Here comes abortion and a woman's right to choose. Whew. Boy, save the midterms, possibly save the Washington State House, although I don't think there was a balance of power and jeopardy there. But, but still, um, was it fortuitous? that this came about as a political issue in this election year? Well, I mean, I get one, we kind of will wait to see, but, but overall, Tom, like women's lives are not a political issue. Not a political issue at all. It may, it, it, every, there are gonna be a thousand issues that come up between now and election day in November. This is gonna be a big one and it is important because it is about a woman's right to control her own body. It certainly and that is the base. And if it has if it if it has political implications, then it does. But what's most important to me and to my caucus is to make sure that we are protecting that right, and we do that by making sure we maintain a majority. Expanding on the abortion topic and looking at a lot of topics from gun control, you name it, all the controversial ones. I really get the sense, um, and you know, this isn't breaking news, but we have talked about two Washingtons for a while, rural red and urban blue. And I really get the sense that we're having a discussion about two Americas almost now, states that um, from abortion to other things that are, you live in a substantially different place in this country if you live in different states. Is that a good thing, a bad thing? Does that concern you? What's the big picture there? Well, I mean, you know, it's hard because there's no, there's not clear answers to me about any of these questions, right? There are some good things that that different states uh, address in different ways. But when you, again, when you think about abortion rights and reproductive health rights and things like marriage equality, which all, you know, the court, if the court decision ends up being very close to what was issued, uh, it's basically gonna say that there's virtually no right to privacy, which is in the country, which is what all kinds of other Supreme Court decisions have been based on. You know, the Loving case, you know, interracial marriage, uh, same gender couples marrying, 
all of those are at risk. So you can't have a country where people are traveling back and forth between states where they're gaining and losing rights depending on what arbitrary line they cross. There are certainly, you know, reasons to have. But firearms advocates would love to hear you say that. They would yeah. love a national carry permit. They would, they would love a lot of those those features. Well, I mean, th that that uh, yeah, it would be better, I think, if we had concealed carry permits that were handled the same way across the country. Might not be the same the way that I might advocate for a way right. that others wouldn't agree with as much. I think Washington's policies on firearms are extraordinarily good and are helpful to the people in this state. Um, but you know, there are certainly local issues that should be governed by the state. But as we become more and more of a state uh, that you can travel anywhere in less than a day, that does argue for trying to have some standardization. It's interesting. I spent a lot of my career licensing healthcare providers, and that's always been a state's rights mm -hmm. issue. Um, and I, it makes sense in the 1800s, where when you were a physician in Washington State you probably weren't going anywhere else likely to be a physician. Now, people are have practices in multiple states and things like that, and so not having a national standard on that seems, um, seems challenging. This um, conversation about two Washingtons, two Americas feeds well into, the, into this question, having just come out of the legislative session. I asked Speaker, uh, I asked um, uh, Minority Leader uh, J.T. Wilcox this question, and I wanna ask you as well, give you the same opportunity. What's the beef? What's the basic critique of not kooky, but mainline conservatism here in, in Washington state? People who want to spend less, be a little more fiscally conservative, not provide wraparound cradle, cradle to grave services for everybody, no matter what. They're just a little more. What is the critique of that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, one of the primary differences, actually, it isn't what we want in the end, right? wanting to serve the people of the state and wanting us to have a healthy economy and healthy families and healthy communities, I think is a shared goal. It's really about how do you get that, right? JT said the exact same thing, which really? is encouraging. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, I mean, we take different approaches. I'll just give you an example of this last session during the, the two years of the pandemic. Um, some on the conservative side would have argued that we should do broad-based tax tax relief mm -hmm. um, for folks. And we did, but what we decided to do was to do targeted tax relief. So, right, bring down the B&O taxes for our small business community. So we're gonna end up with 125,000 business, small businesses, local Main Street businesses in Washington that will either not even have to file for B&O taxes or their B&O taxes will be highly reduced. Uh, but we don't, we also have been a state where the wealthy hasn't been paying their fair share to make this state a healthy state. And so we didn't want to do things that were just going to benefit the most wealthy. Instead, we wanted to invest in things like childcare, where both our families and our business community were telling us that they were being damaged. I mean, even the, you know, the Washington Association of Business a couple of years ago did a study that said their small businesses were losing $2 billion a year because of the shortage of childcare mm -hmm. and how it damaged workforce. And we hear this from families all the time. So our focus is really more on, uh, rather than broad, 
based tax relief in a really inequitable state in terms of taxation to use our dollars to invest in strengthening families and then to do targeted tax relief. So, so those are different approaches. Here's the big question then, um, and I ask this on behalf of the conservatives in the state who trot income tax out as the, the bogeyman uh, a lot. Um, is there an appetite for an income tax in this state? Um, is it going to, ha is it, can it happen and are you, would you like to make it happen? Well, I don't think there's much of an uh, uh, appetite for income tax, but I think we will see, we, we will see, we have a tax structure work group. It's been, it's bipartisan, bicameral, that's been working for two years, been working very well and been all over the state getting feedback from people. I do think one of the things there's starting to be more um, interest in, for example, this goes back to our business and operations tax, right? Every business is taxed on their gross revenue. Gross, yeah. Right, and that is because a net revenue might be considered an income tax. Mm. But that would be much fairer. When you have a startup business, you don't make money for a while. You might bring in a lot of gross revenue, but you are not actually making a profit. And so looking at a margins tax, some sort of margins tax, I think may be of interest to our small business community. And I but hear we'll everybody going, see. aha. I can hear them out there right now, aha. It is an income tax. Yeah. Well, I mean, right, we'll have to see, and we'll see what the tax structure work group yeah. says. And, and again, it's, wor it's worked really well in a bi the good bipartisan partnerships there uh, and bicameral, House and Senate. So I'd really like to wait and see what, what they have to say, because I think that Washington is ripe for all kinds of tax reform. I, I don't think the general public at this point, that anything that I've seen would say any, there are people who, want an income tax, sure. but I don't think there's a big public groundswell for for that. So let's see what the tax structure work group says, what options they present to us, and I think we'll go from there. I put the revenue before the budget discussion, but that's I'm not a lawmaker, so I can do that. <laughs> um, is spending sustainable? You're looking at a $64 billion budget, a record supplemental, and when I go in and look at um, things like um, taxation per capita, Washington State's typically been on trend, but we're starting to gap mm -hmm. that now. Mm -hmm. That's the alligator mm -hmm. mouth. We're starting to mm -hmm. come above trend. Mm -hmm. Is our spending sustainable? Well, I mean, I think one of the things we, we did um, this biennium, because we had so much federal money flowing in, is when you look at our supplemental budget, we, um, we certainly made more one-time investments because we knew that that federal money wasn't coming back. So when we invested half a billion dollars this, in this supplemental budget, a big dollar amount in housing, that was one-time only money. And it's really, th that kind of one-time only money is very ripe for spending on like construction of housing. Or we spent, uh, we invested $2 billion in our, uh, uh, transportation package. Again, that's to build our transportation system and really more to maintain it because that's that's how we focused there. So we worked hard, Tom, I think to not, I guess to not spend money that wasn't ongoing money on ongoing things. So you don't, have to, to turn around and, you don't have to turn around and cancel right, programs. Yeah. Right, but we still wanted yeah. to make sure that we were helping Washingtonians on the housing side, on the transportation side, on other other one-time dollars. Republicans wanted a property tax refund or a tax holiday on gases or on, on fuel, and to see some of that money put in back into Washington's 
Washingtonians' pockets. And I would say that's a, an illustrative piece of some of that gap. You know, investing with the hope of a payoff versus uh, let's, let's have some of that money and give it back to taxpayers. I see that as a, pr a pretty stark philosophical difference there between the, the progressive agenda and the conservative agenda in the state. And I don't, th I don't think that's wrong. Yeah. I think it's a healthy debate. Well, I mean, and I think that's a philosophical perspective on it, but just on the, like, just on the, the, the issue of gas tax, for example, the research nationally says that you give a holiday on gas tax, that is like a sponge that petroleum, petroleum companies soak up. Mm. It doesn't have a downward effect on gas prices. In the end, petroleum companies end up earning more, and I don't think that's what Washingtonians want. The other thing is- They eat that tax break. Right, yeah. the other thing is, you know, a big part of what's causing this is uh, is our inner is what's going on in Ukraine, and I am not getting in bed with Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. Not we're not doing that in Washington State. We are not going to um, kind of cave into the pressures that he's putting. We are, I think, and I think Washingtonians generally are in favor of putting pressure on Russia and putting pressure on him to stop this kind of activity that he has going on in Ukraine. As a speaker, you're in a unique position, I think, to address this. We've talked a little bit about the two Washingtons, the philosophical differences on budget and spending, and that provides a nice entree to a question about governance. It's great to be a Democrat in Washington State. You always win. So, so you know, what's not to, what's not to love? From, however, a policy perspective, a checks and balances perspective, a how would you run a company perspective, an educational perspective about having differing viewpoints and getting the best ideas and to make the best widget. Is, is it the best form of government we could have? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you're easy, talking, well, if you're talking about form of government, yes, this is, you know, to have, I mean, one party, one but, party, but control. one, par one yeah. party control. Uh, I think that, you know, one, this is what the voters in Washington have chosen. And this year we'll, you know, we'll, we will see about no this, denying but, that, but you know, I, I'll, say a, a few things. One is that um, the Democratic Party is not monolithic. We, uh, we have lots of diversity of opinion within our caucus and within the party. So there is a lot of diversity there. And people say rural and, you know, Democrats are urban, mm -hmm. uh, Republicans rural. You know, I was just up in Northwestern Washington. Our son is going to college up there. You know, we have members representing a couple of districts up there that are highly rural districts. We have, met, we have Democratic members who represent huge portions of the Olympic Peninsula, highly, you know, that are, that are Democratic members. So we do have a diversity within our caucus. Um, the other thing is, I think what we try to do whenever we can and work very hard to do is to get bipartisan input on all of our legislation. I mean, if you look this last session, 95%, literally 95% of the bills that went off the floor of the House, wide bipartisan support for them. There are always going to be differences, and that's what's going to get kind of the, the most attention. But generally, we actually do work in a really um, bipartisan way. I think the last thing that I'll just say, though, about governance during these pandemic times, mm -hmm. you know, I was elected speaker and had 40 days as speaker before the first coronavirus yeah. cases yep. hit Washington State. So, I remember we talked to you just before. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and so um, I that this is consumed my speakership and, mm -hmm. and the last two legislative years. I recognized going into this that my job was to govern. Um, and it was to make the best decisions that I could for the operations of the House and the people of this state. 
it's really easy to say no to things when you're in the legislature. That's the easiest thing to do. The hardest thing to do is to work hard and to find a way to get to yes on really difficult, challenging things where there may be differences of opinion amongst your electorate on those. The art of the possible, um, right? Yeah, and I think that we've done a really good job of, of that. I want to bring it in uh, closer to home a little bit. Um, you being from Tacoma and us, um, our, our licensee and our station being here in Tacoma, we serve both, as you do, all of uh, Western Washington in our case, but also our, our home base is here. Big concern, in fact, I even saw a tease for a news program tonight, uh, one of the Seattle stations coming down and doing a big blowout on crime in Pierce County mm -hmm. because it's now become newsworthy. Mm -hmm. um, Concerned about that, about what's what you're seeing happening in Tacoma and Pierce County. Um, what are your thoughts on solutions, or are we just going to have to suffer the same fate of the rest of the country because everybody's experiencing this? What's, yeah. How should we think about this? Yeah. Um, I think, Tom, that is one of the biggest challenges that we have right now, and it's there are so many factors at play here. I think this is a good point that you're making, that we are not uh, an exception. So we have to think about what's going on nationally. Um, and one of the challenging things is when you think about cause, we can only usually understand that in retrospect. Well, we need to do things right now. So yes, we're very focused um, on that. Uh, I you know, let me just give you an example of kind of, I think one of the smart ways we're trying to address um, some of the criminal activity we see. Uh, we had a bill this session on catalytic converter theft. Mm -hmm. And I, every neighborhood that I represent, I've heard from people, this is a big issue. Well, catalytic converter theft has always been a criminal, it's a crime to do that, right? So what would our, historically, what would our choice be? Well, let's make it more of a crime. Well, all of the research out there says that is not gonna stop it. So what is another thing that we can do? We looked at really some kind of national approaches and what we did was looked at the third party market, right? And so if you drive down demand, sure. why is somebody's gonna, gonna do that? So now, um, starting this year after legislation from Representative Ryu this year, if you're a third party purchaser, you're gonna have to verify that the catalytic converter you're buying coming, comes from a car that the person selling it to you owns or you're gonna have criminal liability. And then we've also created a task force of law enforcement officials and others to uh, identify other ways that we can you know, bring down catalytic converter theft. Now, I'm not saying all the crime we're facing is that, but what I'm saying is we're trying to do really smart um, engagement on, 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 uh, on creating crimes and how to address crimes um, as, a way to, as a way to try and to, to move forward on some of these things. Side piece on that, did defund police um, and, and what you might kind of call it an anti-cop vibe over the course of the past couple of years go too far? Ha, ha, is, the, is part of this, does it lie at that doorstep a little bit? Well, I guess I would just say like for us in, the, in state government, like the defund police thing was never a real thing. That was political rhetoric. Uh, I mean, just this year and last year. But cops so, who quit so both, but they hear it, but both years, both years, Washington State increased its funding for law enforcement. This year, it was probably more than $20 million between uh, uh, training to, to recruit and train law enforcement officers and also on retention, uh, you know, related to pensions and things like that. So we did a lot of, a lot of things there. So I think it's hard for people when they hear that kind of political rhetoric out there to go beneath and say, is that really true? 
not mm -hmm. really true in terms of what the legislature is okay. doing. But I would say that you know we passed a number of bills. We passed uh, I don't know 12 or 13 bills last session. This year we came back and we had four kind of adjustments right. that we wanted to make. Yep. Three Pursuits of, and yeah, a few three things. of which we three of which we made. So you know one was related to um, I mean and. In both years, we worked heavily with the law enforcement community, with families who've been affected by, by law enforcement violence right. and had lost family members. And so uh, one of the things that was missed is we wanted uh, last year for uh, law enforcement to use less lethal weapons. Well, we accidentally had something in a bill that prohibited them from shooting bean bags as opposed right. to bullets. You know, and that was something that neither the law enforcement folks that we talked to nor anyone like it wasn't until after the bill was implemented that people were like, oh, we missed this. So we went back and fixed that. We also went back, uh, we had some, of the law, some members of the law enforcement community said that they thought one of the bills that we had passed prohibited them from their community caretaking calls where we had someone who was maybe in a behavioral health crisis and it prohibited them from putting hands on somebody yeah. to try and help help get them into an ambulance. Now the AG's office said no, the law doesn't do that, but we're like, hey, if you need clarification about this, we'll do that. Um, we also defined what the use of force was for police because there are right. lots of issues that was another on, big on one. use of yeah. force. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, the vehicular pursuits bill is the one bill that we weren't right. um, a able to get to. And it's a challenging, that's a challenging issue because again, all the data out there says that, that when there's high speed pursuits, it's very dangerous to law enforcement. I mean, we had two law enforcement and officers die in them. Yeah. And to civilians, we have a member in the Senate who had a family member who, who died in a, in a pursuit and was a civilian, I think. So that'll be stuff that we'll continue to work on. Um, but in the end, Tom, our goal is to make sure that law enforcement has the tools that they need to protect the community and protect the public, and is also had, held accountable when trust is violated. And that's the balance we're always trying to achieve and we'll keep on working on that. Finding the balance, definitely yeah. a theme, isn't it? Yeah, it, right. really, it, it really is. Yeah. And now that I've taken on this speaker role, it's more, it's even more, um, more so than, than it was as a member. Um, so it's a, that's a challenge, it's a challenging piece of work. Our thanks to Speaker Jenkins for coming to Northwest Now. Spending $64 billion annually to grow the safety net, implement aggressive climate action, and trying to solve persistent problems with mental health, the achievement gap, and housing is how the Democrats are exercising their winning political power. The bottom line, it'll be interesting to see whether it's all sustainable in the long run and whether a new source of revenue will eventually have to be found to make it all stick. I hope this program got you thinking and talking. To watch this program again or to share it with others, Northwest Now can be found on the web at kbtc.org. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Northwest Now. Thanks for taking a closer look on this edition of Northwest Now. Until next time, I'm Tom Lason. Thanks for watching.